the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. So what Psalm 2 is saying is that there was a moment in time, not when Jesus was created, because Jesus has always coexisted and being co-eternal with God the Father. But there was a moment in time when Jesus rose from the dead. And when he rose from the dead, God the Father became the father of the first of the resurrection from the dead. So it wasn't that he was created here. It was that he became the first of the glorified bodies to be resurrected from the dead. And the Bible talks about Jesus as the first fruits of many to come. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through the book of Acts. Jesus is eternal. Before the creation of this world, Jesus was with the Father and the Spirit, experiencing perfect union and fellowship within the Trinity. However, Jesus was also born of a virgin about 2,000 years ago, and then Christ died on the cross. In today's message, Pastor Gary teaches us that when Jesus rose from the dead, he became the firstborn of the resurrection of the dead. Those of us in Christ will follow Jesus in this resurrection when the Lord returns. At that time, we too will experience perfect union with our Abba Father, as Jesus does now in his glorified state. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary for today's message from the book of Acts, chapter 13. The Bible is being taught, and these guys are teaching Scripture, so they want to hear the Word of God. Verse 8, But Elimas, the sorcerer, for that is what his name means, Literally in the Greek, it's Elumas. Elumas means sorcerer. So he goes by Elumas or Bar-Jesus. Take your pick. But Elumas, the sorcerer, for that is what his name means, opposed them, of course he did, and tried to turn the proconsul from the faith. So you have to imagine that there's this encounter here. So Barnabas and Saul go, and um, they, they now are sharing the word of God with Sergius Paulus, and he's listening, and, and apparently the sorcerer guy can see that Sergius Paulus' heart is turning towards the Lord, and so he tries to talk him out of it. You shouldn't believe this, you know, all this kind of stuff. And so he's doing his demonic thing there. And verse 9, got to love this now, verse 9, Saul here, he doesn't hold back any punches. So look at what it says, verse 9. Then Saul, who was also called Paul, circle that, we'll come back to that in a minute. Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elimas and said... You are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. 
You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? Now the hand of the Lord is against you. You are going to be blind, and for a time you will be unable to see the light of the sun. Wow, it's the first time that we hear Paul speak here since his ministry has begun. Now, before we comment on what he says, notice that his name transitions from Saul to Paul. And the only reason is because he, he wants to now be relatable to, to his Gentile, to the Greek world. And so that's where God is going to call him primarily. He's going to go first to the Jew, but he already has street creds with the Jew because he was born and raised a Jew, and he studied under Gamaliel, the great rabbi. So they already respect him. But the Gentiles don't really have any respect for him, so he's going to use a name that is relatable. It's like if your name is Peter and you get called to minister in France, you might then become Pierre. You know, And so, and so that's, that's just what it is. It's like Saul is like, I'm going to be Paul now. Not with a French accent, but I'm going to be Paul. <laughs> And so that's what it becomes. And he just hits hard with Elimas. You know, you're, you're demonic. I mean, this isn't, this isn't, you know, gentle, meek, and mild, you know, Christian Paul. This is, this is like in your face. I'm going to just tell it like it is. You're demonic. You are filled with evil. You have evil intent. And you're going to be made blind. And boom, the guy's made blind. Now, it doesn't tell us, you know, how it all works out. But it does say that for a while, for a time, you will be unable to see the light of the sun. So we have to assume that he gets his sight back at some point. Immediately, it says, mist and darkness came over him, and he groped about, seeking someone to lead him by the hand. When the proconsul saw what had happened, he believed, Now I want you to notice the rest, for he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. Now, why do I emphasize that? Because it doesn't say he was amazed at what happened to Elimas. He wasn't amazed at the demonstration of power. He was amazed at something even more powerful than that. He was amazed at the Word of God. It is the Word of God that is powerful and effective to change the human heart. Signs and wonders accompany, and I praise God that he still, as he chooses, will still reveal himself in powerful and wonderful ways. But the church better not seek power let God determine when he wants to assign that and display that. But the church had better understand that the power is in the word of God. It is, it is faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Faith doesn't come by, by seeing a lot of miraculous stuff. And some people, some people get preoccupied with, with all the display of power instead of understanding that the real power is in the word of God which changes the human heart. And Sergius Paulus here was, was not as impressed by what happened to Elimas as he was about the Word of God. It's the teaching of the Lord that amazed him. And so he becomes a convert here. He becomes Paul's first convert. Now, Paul's just the vessel. It's the Lord who converts the, the human heart. But this is the first person who's responded to the ministry of Paul. And from this point on, in the rest of the Bible... Saul will be known now as Paul. That's how he will be referred to throughout the rest of the Bible. In fact, it, it goes on to say here in verse 13, From Paphos, Paul and his companions sailed to Perga in Pamphylia, where John left them to return to Jerusalem. So I'm not sure why John just didn't leave from Cyprus, why they had to sail the rest of the Mediterranean to get up there to Perga and then... And then John Mark says, you know what, I'm just going to go ahead and take off. He's, John Mark's going to prove to be a source of contention between Barnabas and Paul. They're going to have a little, a little uh, fight 
over, over whether or not John Mark should, should really be um, with them or not. John Mark was a relative of Barnabas. NIV says um, a relative, and I think the King James says cousin. We don't know exactly how he's related. But they go on up now to, to Perga in Pamphylia. So now we're, we're up into Turkey at this point. And uh, from Perga, verse 14, they went on to Pisidian Antioch. So they go up further into the interior, Pisidian Antioch. And on the Sabbath, they entered the synagogue and sat down. After reading from the law and the prophets, the synagogue rulers sent word to them saying, Brothers, if you have a message of encouragement for the people, please speak. So the people could tell, these are some new people who come to our church. Why, why don't you guys, if you have anything to share, why don't you get up and share? And so... Paul gets up. Now, from verse 16 down through verse 41, we have Paul's first recorded sermon. Right here, from verse 16 down through verse 41, Paul's first recorded sermon. So let me just read through this. Verse 16, standing up, Paul motioned with his hand and said, men of Israel, And you Gentiles who worship God, listen to me. So apparently there were some Gentiles who were there at the synagogue. They're interested. They're curious. The God of the people of Israel chose our fathers. He made the people prosper during their stay in Egypt. With mighty power, he led them out of that country. He endured their conduct for about 40 years in the desert. He overthrew seven nations in Canaan and gave their land to his people as their inheritance. All this took about 450 years. Okay, give or take. About 400 years they spent as slaves in Egypt, about 40 years wandering in the wilderness, and about another 10 years Joshua dividing up the promised land. So about 450 years. So, so Paul's just kind of recapping their own Jewish history and also for the benefit of the Gentiles. And he says, after this, God gave them judges until the time of Samuel, Samuel the prophet. Verse 21, And then the people asked for a king, and he gave them Saul, son of Kish, of the tribe of Benjamin, who ruled 40 years. After removing Saul, he made David their king. He testified concerning him that I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. From this man's descendants, God has brought to Israel the Savior Jesus, as he promised. Before the coming of Jesus, John preached, that's John the Baptist, preached repentance and baptism to all the people of Israel. As John was completing his work, he said, who do you think I am? I am not that one, referring to Messiah. John the Baptist, and he makes that clear. John the Baptist said that he's not, he's not Messiah. He says, no, but he is coming after me whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. Brothers, children of Abraham, and you God-fearing Gentiles, it is to us that this message of salvation has been sent. The people of Jerusalem and their rulers did not recognize Jesus, yet in condemning him they fulfilled the words of the prophets that are read every Sabbath. Though they found no proper ground for a death sentence, they asked Pilate to have him executed. When they had carried out all that was written about him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead, and, as, and for many days he was seen by those who had traveled with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. They are now his witnesses to our people. We tell you the good news. What God promised to our fathers, he has fulfilled for us, their children, by raising up Jesus. Now, let me pause before I quote what what he's about to quote from the book of Psalms. He's just summarizing Jewish history, but he does it rapidly. 
He says, you know what? We were slaves. God took us out of slavery, brought us to Israel. We, we, we got judges, and judges were appointed, and then, and then we, were, we got kings, and Saul was the first king, and then Saul was replaced by David. And he goes quickly to the divinic messianic line. Because Old Testament scriptures prophesied how Messiah would come from the line of David. So he goes quickly to David and the messianic line. And he says, and from David, eventually came Jesus the Savior. Now, they're still listening here. They don't have the same reaction. Remember when Stephen started giving this spiel back in chapter 7? They stoned him for death because they got offended by what he said about Jesus being the Messiah, the promised one. So, so far, so good. I mean, they're listening to Paul as he's preaching about this, and Paul's connecting all the dots. He's like, all our Old Testament scripture that pointed to and prophesied about a Messiah, in fact, were all fulfilled in Jesus, and then he preaches about the crucifixion of Jesus. He says, they nailed him to a tree, they took him off the tree, they put him in a tomb. And he says, but God raised this same Jesus from the dead. So he's preaching the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. That is the hope of the human race, is the truth about Jesus. And then he quotes here from Psalm, verse 2, he says this, As it is written in the second Psalm, You are my son, today I have become your father. Now, I want to pause and I want to point something out because if you get a knock at your door from some Jehovah's Witnesses, they're going to take you to this verse. So I just want to clarify something, okay? Because Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons, by the way, will use this verse right here in your Bibles to tell you that it is evidence that Jesus was created. That he was created. Because Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons do not believe that Jesus is God. So they will say, well, right here is Psalm 2, or if they don't take you to Acts 13, they're going to take you to Psalm 2, where this is where Paul's quoting from. And it shows us here, you are my son, today I've become your father, that there was a moment in time where Jesus was created. That's what they will tell you. It is completely out of context. It is, it is not talking about Jesus from the womb. It is talking about Jesus from the tomb. The context is about the resurrection of Jesus. So what Psalm 2 is saying is that there was a moment in time, not when Jesus was created, because Jesus has always coexisted and being co-eternal with God the Father. But there was a moment in time when Jesus rose from the dead. And when he rose from the dead, God the Father became the father of the first of the resurrection from the dead. So it wasn't that he was created here. It was that he became the first of the glorified bodies to be resurrected from the dead. And the Bible talks about Jesus as the first fruits of many to come. First fruits was a feast of the Jews where they would go into the, into the temple on the first day of the harvest and wave the fruit, usually barley harvest, wave it in the temple to signify God has provided this and there's much more to come. And the Bible speaks about Jesus being the first fruits of those who have risen from the dead as an indication that just as Jesus rose from the dead, so too we who trust Christ as our Savior will also rise from the dead and get glorified bodies as he did. So this verse is not a reference to when Jesus was created in the womb. It is a reference to when God became a father for the first time because Jesus came from the tomb. It's all about the resurrection when God became a father for the first time in the sense of the father of the risen from the dead. Jesus being the first to rise from the dead with a glorified body. Don't think about when Jesus rose Lazarus from the dead or, or the, the, the son of the widow from Nain. Those people died again. 
Jesus is the first one to rise from the dead with an imperishable body, and the Bible promises all who believe in Jesus will likewise get an imperishable body. Now, you know, look, the truth is we're all going to die unless Jesus returns, and that'll be fine with me. Even before I'm done with this teaching, he can finish this and do it a whole lot better than I would. But other than that, if, if, if we don't go when, when the Lord calls us to, to you know, be bodily snatched from the earth, we will all die and experience a physical death. And our spirit will separate from our body, and our body will decompose, and it will return to the same 17 chemical elements of dirt, hydrogen, oxygen, and about 15 other trace elements. So we will return to dust because from dust we were created. But the Bible speaks of a day that when we die, our spirit goes to heaven. Well, what happens to the decomposed body that is left in the earth, whether it's been cremated, it doesn't matter, cremated or buried or don't even worry. You know, some of you are like, oh, I scattered Uncle Charlie at sea. It's okay. <laughs> God who flung the stars of the universe can pull Uncle Charlie back together again. Trust me, okay? <laughs> but there will come a day then when the trumpet call of God will sound and the dead in Christ will rise... Okay, There will be a moment in time when every Christian who has separated their spirit from their body, because their spirit went to be with God in heaven, when their body will also become glorified and will rise again imperishable. That's what Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 15. And for those who hear the trumpet call of God and go up to earth being snatched physically, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, we shall not all sleep, but we all sh shall be changed in the twinkling of an eye. So for, the, for that generation who doesn't experience death because we are taken up to heaven when the trumpet call of God is sounded just before his second coming, we get our glorified bodies instantaneously on the way up. But for everybody else who has gone on to heaven, just their spirit went to heaven. And their bodies will become glorified and will then rise to be reunited with their spirit in heaven. And so we shall be with the Lord forever in the same glorified body as he has. So this is, this is wonderful news, but I just want to point this out because a Jehovah's Witness or a Mormon will tell you that Psalm 2 refers to the creation of Jesus. That's not what it's referring to because look at the context, in front of it and behind it. Keep reading. Verse 34, the fact that God raised him from the dead... Okay, do you see it? It's still an emphasis on the resurrection of the dead. The fact that God raised him from the dead never to decay, because it's a glorified body is stated in these words, I will give you the holy and sure blessings promised to David. So it is stated elsewhere, you will not let your holy one see decay. So, Psalm 2 is a reference to God becoming the Father in the first sense of the first resurrected, glorified body, and that's what Jesus became when he rose from the dead. So Paul's preaching all this. He's giving them their history. He's talking about Jesus, death, burial, resurrection of Christ, glorified body, didn't see decay. And then in verse 36, he says, For when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep, he died, and he was buried with his fathers, and his body decayed. But the one whom God raised from the dead did not see decay. So he's comparing, he's saying, listen, David was the, a chosen line through whom Messiah would come, but Messiah, Jesus, is the one who received glorified body. Verse 38, therefore, my brothers, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is justified from everything you could not be justified from by the law of Moses. Now, please drink that in. 
Okay? I'm, I'm going to say it again. Notice what he says. Verse 39. Therefore, through him, everyone who believes, everyone who believes in Jesus Christ, this is present day truth, for friends, listen. Everyone who believes is justified. Okay, and I broke that word down for you a few weeks ago, if you were here. It, when we are justified, it means that because we put our faith and trust in Christ and we surrender our lives and we just say, Lord, I believe you died on a cross for me. Thank you for loving me enough. You died for me on the cross. I surrender my life to you. When, when we make that confession and that profession, we are then justified in the eyes of God. And it, it, it literally breaks down just so we can remember it. It's kind of a... You know, professors in, in seminaries hate this, but it's, but it's a basic way for the layman to remember it. It's just as if I'd never sinned. That's the way that God looks upon us because he sees us then in the righteousness of his son. So we're justified, how? Through faith. You know, this is where I depart from my Catholic friends over the issue of justification. And if you have a Catholic background, you know what I'm talking about. In the Catholic church, they teach you're justified through works and penance. Okay. The Bible teaches we are saved through faith and faith alone. We can't work our way to heaven. We can't earn our way to heaven. We certainly don't deserve it. But God in his mercy towards us has opened up heaven to us if we accept and believe and receive by faith. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, it is by grace are you saved through faith and this the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Nobody can take credit that they're going to get to heaven because they've done a few good things. It is by grace are we saved, through faith. And that's why Paul adds here, if you believe in Christ, you will be justified from everything that the law of Moses was not able to save you from. Because you see, the law just became the thing that exposed my sinfulness. The law can't save. The rules don't save. The law exposes my sinful condition. So all the rules up against my life, expose just how wicked and sinful I am. But now what's the remedy for that? Because I can't possibly keep all the rules. Nobody can. If you count up all the rules of the Old Testament, there are over 360 rules. Over 360. How's anybody going to keep all the rules? You, you broke 10 just driving here. I know you did. <laughs> now, now you're mad at me for saying that. That's 11. And some of you are like, no, I haven't broken any. That's 12. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, look, we can't do it. We, it. It's impossible. And so what happens is the law becomes a mirror that brings us to Christ. Think of it like this. The law is like a thermometer. Okay, now, now they have these great thermometers now. Not when I was growing up. How many of you remember the, the thermometers that your, your mom had to shake to get the mercury down before she stuck it in your mouth? How many of you remember that? You know, now they just put a little thing in your ear. Beep. Oh, you have a fever. Oh, how simple that is. You have to sit there for like five minutes holding that thing in your mouth, and you could never open your mouth because then it would make the numbers wrong, which weren't really numbers. You just had to kind of read the line. Anyway, I digress. But the point is a thermometer doesn't make you well. It just points out that you're sick. There's no power in the thermometer. It just points out that you're sick. That's the way the law of Moses is. There's no power in the law of Moses to save. It just points out that you're sick. And that's why Paul says, listen, the law of Moses can't save you. Now, to the Jewish ears who are hearing this, this is like, this is like incredibly new news. He's like, what do you mean? What do you mean the law of Moses can't save us? We've been, we've been trying to be righteous. We've been trying to obey the laws. We've been trying to do everything just right. 
Yeah, but if you were honest enough, you'd realize that you haven't been doing a very good job at that. And if you stumble at one aspect of the law, the Bible says you've broken them all. And so he says it is because you have believed in him that you are justified from everything that you could not be justified from by the law of Moses. And then he adds verse 40, take care that what the prophets have said does not happen to you. Look, you scoffers, wonder and perish, for I am going to do something in your days that you would never believe, even if someone told you. There's much more to glean from the pages of Acts and the history of the early church, but we'll pause our journey through it for today. Join us next time as Pastor Gary continues to share the the power of the Holy Spirit with us. If you'd like to learn more about Cornerstone Connection, Pastor Gary, or the church these messages originate from, we encourage you to visit cornerstoneconnection.cc. Browse through our archive of previous messages while you're there and feel free to share them with friends and family. Download our mobile app as well to keep God's Word with you as you go about your daily activities. Pastor Gary has also made available a study guide to accompany his series, In Acts. You can find this digital booklet and companion resources under the Teachings tab. Do you live in the Leesburg area or will you be visiting in the near future? If so, we'd like to extend an invitation to join us for our weekly gatherings. We meet each Sunday and Wednesday to spend time in prayer and worship and studying the Bible. Visit cornerstoneconnection.cc for service times, more information, and directions. If you can't join us in person, don't worry. We live stream our services. Just click the link under the teachings tab. Thanks for joining us today. And be sure to tune in again for another edition of Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul. That you've got no place to go. But still you know. You're not a Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.